Hello, cruel world, and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy Randawa, and with me, as always, is my lovely and talented <laughs> co-host, Miss Samantha Hees. Oh, hello, Indy. How are you? Uh, oh, not great. Not it's, great. It's been a day. It's been a day in the world. Yeah. But like, why would we even talk about it now? Because uh, whenever you hear this, I'm sure something much worse has happened. Ah, uh, that's the way it seems to be going. Yeah. Um, but I find it very interesting that what's happened today is so kind of in line with the movie that we watched this week. A very prescient movie indeed. You know what? Let's just get into it. Okay. Usually I have a preamble where I t- make small talk about the very depressing things. Today we don't have to because the movie's going to do it for us. Yes. So last week, I brought forth the movie Children of Men from 2006, which Mm -hmm. Samantha has never seen. I picked this film not because it's revolutionary or introduces something that we've never seen before. I picked this because it exemplifies so many things that I try to talk about on this podcast. It can be appreciated at a bunch of levels. And I think even if you're looking at it very superficially, we can see a lot of really masterful elements. And I think it's a good movie to talk about to discuss those elements that we might not even be aware that we're appreciating. And of course, you can go into all sorts of thematic stuff, how it's prescient today, the artistic illusions that this movie makes that most people will hate to hear about, but I'm going to talk about anyways. This movie is very good on the surface and perhaps even better beneath it. Upon this most recent rewatching, I still love this movie. So the question, Samantha, I love this movie. Do you? Ooh, um, I'm going to pick up our little I love this, you should too verdict box and slide it to yup. Oh, love. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I uh, think I agree with that kind of little overview that you just gave because I enjoyed the movie while I like while we were watching it um I realized that the sound of constant gunfire makes me extremely anxious that's good and uh I kind of was so anxious at the end of the movie after all of the shooting and everything that I kind of had trouble in that moment deciding whether or not I liked it but then I thought about it for the next couple of days because it's been a couple of days since we watched it and I've decided that I do love it It's good to hear because I know a lot of anxiety-inducing movies I tend not to like, Mm -hmm. yet I don't find that an issue with this one. And I think what it is, is the anxiety I feel for this is definitely intentional, and I feel like there's some resolution to it, and I feel like it's not manipulative how it gets me to feel those things. Mm, Yeah. I know this isn't about uh, Uncut Gems, but I watched Uncut Gems last night, and that is a very anxiety-inducing movie, and I did not like it. That movie's either loved or hated, and a lot of the time because of the ending. I didn't like it from start to finish. Oh. Because the anxiety was just because of stupid choices people keep making over and over again, so that's more frustrating. While the anxiety here, on one level, is existential, so that's uh, a whole nother level, Mm -hmm. but it's well-founded. Right. Well, let's get into the movie then. Overall, what did you like about it? I think that I, first off, really liked all the characters. They seem like the characters that would be left after 18 years of kind of government rule and infertility and um, people trying to fight back. Um, or being driven underground. I think that all the characters really made sense in this kind of world, and uh, I instantly liked all of them, Um, for different reasons, obviously. Um, I found some of the little moments of, like, humor were kind of fun, and I really enjoyed that they didn't try to make one person super funny, so that there was always someone to, like, bring everyone up. It was just, like, people being people in this situation who occasionally were just kind of funny. And that I really liked that part. So, um, I think it was the character building and the just the little, like, one-off funny comments that I really enjoyed. 
So let's talk about this movie superficially at first, because we're going to get deep, as we often do, much to many people's dismay, (laughs) but my delight. I've seen the notes, guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, let's uh, let's bring them in on my notes and okay. how we're going to talk about this show. Perfect. So I want to start off with talking about how the superficial successes of it, the opening of the movie and how that sets up everything that's going mm-hmm. to follow. The amazing world building, which I think is probably what we're going to talk about the most, the mm-hmm. world that is created in this film. And then how that's relevant today, which is painfully uh, obvious today. Yeah. And then I want to get into some technical things, maybe some art and imagery and artistic references that they make. <laughs> that sounds like an indie topic. Uh, the long shot, right. which is important in this movie. And then maybe we'll finish off on a bit of a philosophical note and talk about whether or not this movie is ultimately an optimistic movie or not. Because it is one of the harshest, most gritty movies you can see. Mm-hmm. But we'll save that for the end. Perfect. (laughs) End on a high note. So I talked about this movie being not revolutionary, but exemplary, because it uses a lot of things that we've seen so many times. Like, first of all, we have Clive Owen as Theo. Mm -hmm. How did you like him? I... I liked him because he was very much just like a normal guy. Mm -hmm. He... uh, didn't magically discover he had superpowers. He wasn't specially trained to do this. He was just a normal guy who was kind of brave and trustworthy. And I I liked that he wasn't a superhero. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I wish Clive Owen got more work. I say that, but today I looked to see what he's been doing. He's working constantly, not on a lot of good stuff. He's kind of like... A man from a different generation. He should be in film noirs and gritty detective Oh, yeah. Things, I right? can see that because he has such a good deadpan. And he was good in um, Sin City, which is pretty much a neo-noir. And then this, too, is a, it's a grimier movie mm-hmm. than a lot of things. But he is kind of the exemplary good guy. Animals love him, which is a fun little thing that they put in. I also love how many animals are in this movie. It's kind of always reminding you that even after humanity's gone, other things will continue. Yeah. Yeah, like all the all the dogs and puppies that you see in this movie. I think I said at one point, I was like, Well, I guess the dogs can still procreate. Yeah. Uh, He also has bare feet that are often getting injured, which is a thing we see in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. to make someone relatable and everyman. True. Going back to Die Hard and some other ones as well. And there's also this trope of a guy who is jaded and hopeless and then reluctantly goes on a journey and in doing so discovers hope. Like that's in Logan, that's in just about every Western movie. Mm -hmm. So it's not creating new things. But it is doing a great job of that, better than a lot of other movies, I'd argue. Right. He was an idealist and an activist, but now he's been beaten down by life and just kind of has stopped trying. And I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to. That idealism of when you were younger and by this point going like, well, what do I do? Do I go to another protest? Do I write more letters? It's not doing anything. And you get get jaded. Burnt out. Definitely. He seems like the most jaded, burnt-out person. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's a thing that everyone is currently feeling. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I, I liked him as a character quite as, as much. Yeah, this movie, well, we're going to get into it at some point, <laughs> but it's, it's so much more relatable today in early 2021 when we're recording this than yes. when I saw it in theaters when I was in university or something in 2006. Yeah, I can't believe this is the movie we're watching right now. Um, it felt appropriate to pick this one. It did, it did. And we probably won't talk like directly about it, but it's January 6th, so if you wanted to like know what date it is that we're recording, and you can kind of piece together what we're talking about. Oh yeah, well I guess we could just say the uh, people are storming the Capitol building in the United States, and everyone seems okay with it because they're yeah. like, white and Republican, so we're cool. Yeah, big deal. exactly. And it's very frustrating to see how different it is from the summer when um, people are literally being shot for even trying to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to go out there and say, like, hey, stop killing us, you can get shot for that. But if you want to break into a government building where the vice president Mm -hmm. is, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. There's only one thing that's different in those two situations. You guys out there can think about it. I think you can figure it out. 
But I'm I'm not going to get sidetracked. <laughs> we're going to talk about this and some of those other typical things. Some of them were too much for me. Like the boat is called The Tomorrow and they're going to go to the Human Project. And it's just a little, a little too on the nose. But yeah. you know what? Those things are so forgivable when you have, I think depth is the best word. There's a lot of depth to this film. You have those things for a more, maybe a more casual viewer, Mm -hmm. but then the deeper you go, there's just more and more there. And it's maybe a little heavy handed on the Christian symbolism as well. Like this (laughs) is, of course, the story of a savior baby who was born in very humble beginnings and was essentially a refugee and was born in a manger kind of yeah exactly um and uh kind folks took them in to help them you know along in their journey so but they had the fear of persecution the whole time too oh yeah (laughs) well i guess we talked about today's political climate Uh, let's set the stage for when this came out so this is in the post 9-11 world and neoconservatism and xenophobia definitely have a hold of London at this point already. This is not too long after uh, the pictures of Abu Ghraib came out, and I think the influence of that can be seen in the film as well. Well, should we start right at the beginning of the movie? Sure. Do you remember the opening scene? Where he's getting coffee, and then the building blows up. Yeah, and that's the first of many really long takes, because Mm -hmm. it's all one shot. And I think this first scene sets the tone very well for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. So first off, you have people watching on a screen. And we're instantly going to relate to those people because we are people watching a screen. Exactly. And then all those people are blown up. Yep. And that lets you know what kind of world we are living in. Uh, before they're blown up, we get to hear about baby Diego. <laughs> I love the idea of someone being called baby Diego until they're like, 18. Isn't that little bit of world building so real? Mm-hmm. I think when it came out, I was like, well, I don't get this bit. But the way celebrity works, that's exactly what that person's life would be like. No, absolutely. I think that's very, I think it, this might have been ahead of its time because this is how we deal with people now. Yeah, in um, many ways. In the way that like social media really exemplifies celebrity and you can see them absolutely everywhere. And all you have to do is type in the first four letters of someone's name and you can get thousands of hits on them. And it's just, uh, it's really interesting to see how right they were about that. Yeah, and the fact that celebrities are often celebrities not for any talent or skill, Mm -hmm. but just for being celebrity, being born. literally a celebrity for being born. Yeah, Yeah. which is the case with a lot of people, right? It's true. It's very true. Yeah, so that first sequence really um, set the tone for how gritty this movie was going to be and what kind of, like you said, what kind of world they're living in and um, kind of the temperament of uh theo yes because he's almost unfazed by this he, like, he just pours some booze into his coffee not goes to work goes to work and like doesn't even use the fact that he was like seven meters away from a bomb <laughs> like as a reason to go home like that's yeah he uses the idea of being sad about baby diego because that's a bigger deal in yeah, this world absolutely. and that's such a good job of showing and not telling mm-hmm. right yeah and you you assume then or i did anyway that this is something that happens all the time yeah absolutely coffee shops being blown up and people just dying and having your ears ring because of a bomb blast it's just it's normal nobody's gonna send you home from work because of that because it happens every other day and you bring up the ears ringing because that is something that comes up a lot in this movie mm-hmm. this is the first instance of it where his ears are ringing from that explosion and they continue ringing for a while. Mm-hmm. And later on, we have Julianne Moore's character, who's also named Julian? I think? Julian, yeah. Not I Julianne, that, but Julian. I found that very confusing because yeah. I know who Julianne Moore is and I really like her. And then every time they call her Julian, I'd be like, Julianne. <laughs> so she later in the movie says that when you hear that ringing in your ears, that is those, what are they called? Those little wavy fibers in your ear. Oh. Anyways, those. That's those dying. Yes, that that, whole explanation. (laughs) And that's the last time you're going to hear that frequency. So you might as well enjoy it. Yeah. And that's kind of a theme throughout the movie. Is that 
some people are struggling and bemoaning the things that they are they have lost and will never regain mm-hmm. and some people are trying to enjoy it mm-hmm. so the yeah the idea of having something that you will never have again works on so many levels in this movie of course the the lack of fertility and the human race dying but then they bring it down to such a small level on with the ears ringing and that comes up like three or four times throughout the movie including that one big six minute scene that we see later so just aesthetically talking what do you think about the world that they've created the world of 2027 um i think that this is something that could very much happen (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem as uh far-fetched as a lot of other ones I did hear that the production designers originally had all these sketches that were kind of Blade Runner-esque. Right. And they were saying, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have these flying cars. And Alfonso Cuaron, the director, said, no, no, that's not what we're doing. And he had a book of photos that he had taken. And they were all from war scenes, um, from Chernobyl, from Palestine. And he let everyone know that this is going to be the aesthetic that's informing our movie. It's not a polished future. It's not even a gritty future like we see in Blade Runner. It's now. He said he didn't want to create a world, but he wanted to reference a world. Hmm. So everything in it has some sort of reference point that we are familiar with. And things are just like elevated just a slight bit. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that I saw this week, which I'm going to reference like memes and social media that I've seen this week because it is 2021 and uh, that's when Mad Max, that's when Mad Max was said. Oh, and I, you just heard about what Mad Max was last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's funny because they show this outfit, which I still haven't seen Mad Max in the week since we talked about this last, but, um, and everyone's asking, like, do we start wearing this now or do, do we wait a few weeks? Oh, I already have one. Oh, you have one? Yeah. Great. I went to a post-apocalyptic party in the past. Oh, okay. Cool. So I have leather pants and a big shoulder pads with spikes and stuff. I think I could throw something together, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I uh, I thought that was like kind of too far because 2027 20, is when this is set. So yes. it's not that far in the future. And I think they did a better job of assuming what it's going to be like than like Mad Max. Yeah, the technology in it is... Something that we can conceive of. There's no flying cars, but you have computer monitors that are nicer than we have. You have cars with heads-up displays on the windshield, which Mm -hmm. is something that some cars already have. Yeah, like Teslas and stuff already have a system like that in them. Yeah, and the cars are just quieter. I think there's like solar panels on some of the cars. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all conceivable. And then as far as the world building goes, setting the theme of the movie, this movie is a great example of showing us and not telling us Mm -hmm. like in um the last big avengers movie endgame Mm -hmm. they have people in a support group telling you they're sad because people are missing yeah yeah that makes sense yeah but in this movie they don't have exposition dumps like that in this movie they have uh the government providing suicide pills and you see those billboards in the background and then those little bits of technology that they do add seem more meaningful when they are the few things that are different like you have the suicide system you have that little hand game that the rich kid who's all detached is playing you pay attention to those things a little more i think yeah absolutely and speaking of those uh the rich people i'm glad we got that as a contrast because usually movie like this would kind of deal with the uh the grittier side of things Mm -hmm. and not show us the the other end and that was a really interesting scene as well yeah, you get to see a moment of, like, corruption where that guy is um, – oh, I can't remember who who he is to Theo. I think it's his brother. His brother? Is it his brother, brother or his cousin? Cousin? I know he was a family member, but I couldn't remember how close to him he was. But um, you can see kind of the corruption and the way of life that rich people in this country have. And uh, – his just being able to get forged documents or somebody is just like nonchalant and there's no real like oh are you I, I'm gonna get in so much trouble if I do this for you and it's just kind of assumed that he can do it yeah and I like that they have that extreme level of um, detachment and privilege but then we also get parts of Theo like when he goes on to the train and you get to see everything going on around him or mm-hmm. when he's walking by all the people in cages he doesn't really look at them no 
And that's not to say that like he's a bad guy, but I think that's the director relating to us because who hasn't kind of walked by a homeless person? It's true. And he and we have that privilege to get on the train and leave. Mm -hmm. So even Theo, who is not a a high class guy in this world because we got to see where his brother is, Mm -hmm. he still has like an extreme amount of privilege that, that a lot of those other people don't. Do you have any other set pieces that you really liked? I really enjoyed Jasper's house. Yeah. It seemed like such a cool conglomeration of someone really, really eclectic's, like, life. Yeah, and he has to be essentially in hiding just for being who he is. Yes. And I love that one little bit of the government provides us suicide pills, but pot's still illegal. (laughs) So true. And yeah, it just points out that hypocrisy that is... That exists today, right? I saw a meme about that this week. Not about suicide pills, but about how people are still in prison for something that's legal and publicly traded. Right. Yeah. Another set I really liked was that decrepit old school that they're in at one point. Yeah. Because the first time through, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thing. It's all like in shambles. They're sitting on the swing. And then I realized how meaningful it is because mm-hmm. it's a school and it's abandoned because there are no more children. I hadn't thought about it like that going into it because obviously from the trailer, I knew that nobody had had children, but that wasn't like an extreme that I had gone to when I was thinking about the movie. And it is so jarring and it really drives home the fact that there are no more children. And also all of the soldiers reactions when they see the baby that was a that was a another really, moment where yeah. i was just like oh my goodness nobody's seen a baby in 18 years did it bother you that they don't explain the infertility yes because i want to know like, why um but also i think that it wasn't really important to the movie but i also wanted to know how she got pregnant like, like, we know kind of how she got pregnant. She, she doesn't know who the father is. She was just working to make money. But it, uh, I just want to know how she ended up being the one who got pregnant. You know what? I never even considered it. <laughs> really? Oh, see, I find that so interesting. And It is. And I, I, I absolutely get that instinct of like, well, why? But I think maybe I just got caught up in the other questions that the movie asks that I I let those ones slide by. See, that was one that I I was like, I just want to know, is she going to have another baby? Is she going to like, is it her people? Do they like retain the ability to get pregnant? But it's just her though. Like I, yeah, I don't know. At this point. At this point. I think the fact that they don't dwell on what causes it yeah. or show us the initial panic when this uh, is first happening, it only furthers the focus on the reaction to it rather than the actual event. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is less about people not having children than it is the idea of hopelessness. Because it could very easily be a a medical drama that takes place in that first year and people are all trying to figure out what it is and then we find the cure. And that that's a good movie. That would be a completely different movie, but it would be very good. Exactly. That's like a super disaster movie, right? Like, like you know how those weather storm movies oh, and yeah. stuff, where it's like in the moment. Geostorm! And, yeah, and scientists are frantically trying to figure out what's going on. And right. Someone, some scientist falls in love with another scientist. And there's always and like the oddball one who knows the answer, but yeah, then nobody believes nobody them. Nobody believes him. And there are lots of running sequences and blowing up and people rioting. And I could see that being this like prequel almost. Right. Yeah, you could make other movies in this world mm-hmm. that would be very different, but very good. Yes. But... I think this one is ultimately just concerned about uh, about the hopelessness and what it does to society. Mm-hmm. And I think when it came out, I didn't entirely realize that. Cause I was also probably like a teenager or whatever it is. <laughs> but also, I didn't feel society was as hopeless as we seem to be right now. Mm-hmm. But now seeing what actually happens when just a slight bit of adversity hits our species, I see how quickly things fall apart. And the world posited by this movie is just very, very painfully believable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that was so easy to kind of slide into this movie. 
because it didn't take a lot of figuring out, like, in Avengers, people can fly. So you have to, like, know the rules of the world. So it's like this movie is so close to truth that you, like, don't really need to know the rules in order to enjoy it. I do think this is the most spot-on movie for predicting the future. And I guess Mm -hmm. it didn't take as big of a jump in uh, time, but the way they predicted how we would react to those things... That is what was was very accurate. Like, the whole idea of immigrants being a scapegoat in this world. Of course, they had nothing to do with global infertility, no. but they are uh, blamed in, maybe not for this, but just for the ills of society. Yeah. And also, this is a world where resources wouldn't matter. You pretty much have infinite resources because we're all dying in the next 50 years. Yeah. So there shouldn't be any real reason to not give freely to the poor. Yeah. What are you saving for? Nothing. So, yeah, there's no real reason for the hardships of the poor people in this. Just because they can. Exactly. Yep. I love those little propaganda videos we see, like the the Britain soldiers on. Yes. They are the last bastion of hope. Do you think that all those places have actually, like, crumbled and are burning? Or do you think that's just what the British government is telling them? I think it's what the British government is telling them because I think they want to, like you said, keep all the resources for themselves and just by saying New York's gone, you know, the Middle East is gone, Canada's gone, like everything's gone, their immigrants are still here. So we need to like get rid of them so that Britain can continue to be as strong as it's always been, right? Like it just seems like... They're using it as a reason to get rid of all the people who've emigrated to the UK and keep everybody kind of on the same team and not feel sad about, you know, they're like, we only have a finite amount of resources, so we have to we have to do this. This is why. Yeah, and that's something that works in the real world all the mm-hmm. time. There's definitely a correlation with people declaring war and their poll numbers falling when your approval rating drops you're more likely to start blaming some sort of group right because there's nothing that unites people sadly more like a common enemy and that's what they're doing here and they're saying like well if we let them in there's less resources for everybody so we need to get them out (laughs) and i guess it is a bit of a commentary on just racism in general Mm -hmm. when There's a world here where there's no reason to treat the people like this, but they do anyway. Mm -hmm. It just kind of draws parallels to our own, like, completely nonsensical made-up reasons for racism. Yeah, absolutely. And just, and the craziness of current politicians who are just whipping people into a frenzy for absolutely no reason. Exactly. So do you think that the world of this movie was falling apart before the people couldn't have babies? Or do you think that is something that's come about after? So this is one of the things that I find so topical about this movie is that I feel like something like that is all that the current world needs to descend into this world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like it's Like the idea of 2020 being like some big boogeyman, right? Yeah. People seem to think that a lot of those things came up then, but everything we were dealing with as far as uh, fair wages, uh, racial inequality, all of those happened before the pandemic, and the Mm -hmm. pandemic just brought everything to a head. Oh, absolutely. And it seems like that's what happened here, because I think Theo even says at one point that he had lost all hope before this happened. Mm -hmm. It wasn't this that was the final straw. It's like, this has just kind of brought it to the surface for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Made it more visible. I think the best dystopian future films are the ones that are the most conceivable and relatable. And I'm not talking about like those uh, disaster ones like you're talking about where it's, we can conceive of climate change, so maybe that movie makes sense. Geostorm! It's more um, thematic. Like, if you look at something like Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's literally going to happen, but I get how it could be uh, hyperbolic and allegorical for what would actually Mm -hmm. happen. This kind of just steps away from all of that, and it's like, this will happen. And I I completely believe it. (laughs) Oh, no, absolutely. With the way that, like, health and healthcare and government control are going i think that i could definitely see this happening in the future 
hopefully not during our lifetime. I think that's the scariest thing about the movie is how many things that not we could just conceive of, but how many things we're on our way to right Mm -hmm. now. And we've taken our steps to be on our way to it since the movie was released. Mm -hmm. It's not like Quaron saw something and said, oh, that's going in the movie. He effectively predicted a bunch of things. He did. Is he like Nostradamus? Is he like... This well, I think he's future. right more often than Nostradamus was. <laughs> true. Very true. Like the scenes of people being put into cages and rounded up. I'm sure when he was doing that, he probably thought this will invoke images of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. But little did he know that we would be doing it again in our, whatever you call them, internment camps or detain- detainment camps, whatever yeah. the Chinese and the Americans are calling them. It's another thing that seems like it could be in a newspaper today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's so terrifying to think that, like, he was this right about it because then you see the other things in the movie and all of a sudden you're like, is he going to be right about this too? Right. Are we suddenly going to be completely infertile? Are things just going to get blown up every day and nobody's going to blink an eye? Well, there's people storming the Capitol building (laughs) right now and they're just kind of letting it happen. Uh, Like right now. So upsetting. This moment. So, um, yeah, yes is the answer. Yeah, I really wanted it to not be the answer, but I know better than that. Yeah, and I don't think the issue of everyone becoming infertile is uh, something that we literally have to worry about. Mm -hmm. But the core of this movie is in its commentary on hope and hopelessness, how we combat those things, whether we fight for a better tomorrow or if we become complacent with how things are and take them as inevitable. If we use hopelessness for our own advantage and the disadvantage of others and i don't have good answers for how we're doing better than this movie because the last year has shown me that we will do this same things that this movie has predicted we've also had like a worldwide plague so it's uh this movie hit very close to home and it wasn't until after we watched it and i'd kind of thought about it for a couple days that i really realized how how true to life this is yeah, and I think this movie is more true to life now than when it came out. It was, uh, yeah, ahead of its time in so many ways. And I know we say that about things like 1984, like, look, it's actually happening. It's not literally happening. We have a lot of elements for sure. But a lot of the things in this movie are literally happening, and that's terrifying. Like, currently, as we are podcasting. Should we take a break about talking about how it relates to today? Because I think we all know that. It's very clear. It is. But let's talk about just the movie. Uh, Let's talk about some of the art in this movie. And not the art of the movie, but literally pieces of art that are in the movie. Okay. Um, So watching this movie, there was so much going on. I don't think I noticed a lot of the background, even though I really tried hard to. Um, I, I don't think I could pinpoint one thing. I think most of it comes in that scene where he goes to see his we think brother, possibly mm-hmm. cousin. And uh, as he's driving up, the King Crimson song in the court of the Crimson King is playing, which is a it's a good jam out there. <laughs> if you're not familiar, check it out. And that is about going to meet the devil as he drives into this giant government building. Yeah. And they're eating in front of the Picasso painting Guernica. And Guernica is regarded by a lot of people as like the most moving anti-war painting in history Mm -hmm. and they're just sitting there going about their day while that's behind them and the war rages on all around them and they reference la pieta because he has david and i think their david has like a chunk out of his leg he has a good little prosthetic leg something like that. yeah Yeah. that's such a great little set design oh it is yeah uh but they said like oh i wish i could have gotten la pieta uh la pieta is it's michelangelo right I'm going to say it's Michelangelo. The art history people out there can get back to me. And uh, the statue is Mary holding Jesus's dead body. Mm. And so we already have the Jesus idea through uh, Key and her baby. And But that shot is actually mimicked later. And it's during one of those big battles in their kind of like ghetto where a woman is holding her dead, we don't know, husband, son, anything like that. Yeah. And it's it's a mimic of the La Pieta statue. I didn't even notice that, but I do remember that scene because it was so heartbreaking. And then there's like a nihilistic idea that comes along with La Pieta, where it's about if 
you have a child who is ultimately going to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. What is the point of having that child? And it's not just in the literal sense of sacrifice like Jesus, but the fact that we all die, mm-hmm. right? So if you are having a child, you know you're having that child to die. Right. And in this world, it's just so much more um, like amped up, I guess, because mm-hmm. there won't be a next line. Whoa. <laughs> And I think it's also really telling that all the art here is removed from any sort of context. It's Mm -hmm. in, I think they call it the Ark of the Arts, this giant pristine marble building with all of the world's art. And also they're always going on about the purity of England and then all their art is, none of it's British. None of it's British. It's all been stolen from very famous museums. Except they do have, do you see the flying pig? Yes. Do you know what that is? No. So... I'm pretty sure it was on the cover of that Pink Floyd album, Animals. And that Pink Floyd album is all about, uh, it's a big reference to Animal Farm. And then you could just keep drawing the line to how Animal Farm relates to this is also really clear. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I get it. Uh, But as I was saying about it being removed from any context, it's become like absolutely elitist and it's shut away so no one else can see or appreciate it. And when Coron then takes those images like La Pieta and puts it into the real world, he's almost restoring art's connection to humanity and showing that like without the human experience, art is is completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going too far there, but I, I think the amount of detail he puts in, I think that's a choice. The art definitely added to it. While we were watching the movie, we didn't really talk, except at one point I said, like, oh, this is the shot. Watch how long the shot goes on for. You were like, this is the shot. And I was like, what shot? And you were like, oh, it's like nonstop for seven minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. So without my uh, pretentious influence, what did you think of something like that? I thought it was really, like cool to see because it really fit the fact that they were running through this like war zone basically the one full shot was so appropriate kind of for the panic and how it like looked around like you'd be looking around as you were running through this scene so i thought it was a really good use of that like kind of style of filmmaking when i first saw it i was in university, I was really getting into mm-hmm. filmmaking, and I had some a little bit of technical knowledge, so I was just impressed. Like, look, they can do that. And then later I got to the point of going, but why? Mm-hmm. Does that make it better? Is this long take just self-serving? But I think... I think the answer is no, and I think I can back it up because, <laughs> like, when you get a long, uninterrupted take like that, it's all about the realism and the immersion in it. So before I had pointed that one out, mm-hmm. were you noticing really long shots? No. And I don't think that's, like, not paying attention. I think that's ideally what he's going for. Mm-hmm. He's not uh, drawing attention to the editing, how long do you think an average shot in a movie is in a, seconds? A minute? A minute? No. <laughs> so, um, the 30 most, seconds? The most recent uh, data I have is from 2014 when the average American film had a shot length of 2.6 seconds. Okay. So something like Avengers is an action movie. That had an average shot length of two seconds. That's so fast. Yeah. And I can absolutely tell you that i hate two second shots it makes me kind of nauseous i don't think you do because that's the average oh in the world i just don't like movies that like flash 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 flash. yes i'd agree with that that, i can't remember what movie it was but it made me very nauseous to see it yeah so movies like that often get down to like less than a second Mm -hmm. There was on average. Some movie, I think it was one of the Star Wars movies that we saw in 3D, and I already struggle with 3D because I have glasses, and then the 3D glasses, and then all of the really short shots, I was, like, nauseous. Like, I took a gravel at the end of the movie because <laughs> I really could not handle it. So short, tiny, little sequences like that just don't, they don't work for me. So I really liked this sequence with seven minutes long. Yeah, so the average shot length in this movie is uh, just over 15 seconds. Mm. So about seven times longer than your typical movie. Wow. And like originally when 
films were just kind of getting started, the fact that you have to make cuts was seen as a as a hindrance, and it's adding artifice to this. Right. But these long, uninterrupted cuts, which are kind of like the hardest thing technically to, to do, mm-hmm. are all about immersing you into that situation and making you not pay attention to the artifice of cinema. Because like this is, this is all made up for you to watch, of course, right? right? But rather than reveling in that and showing you the artifice Mm -hmm. they're trying their best to make you not notice it so i think if you don't notice the long shots in this that's probably what he's going for yeah i definitely didn't except for that one shot that you were telling me about but now that i'm thinking about it i just feel like you linger on stuff a lot longer in this movie and i i think it just added to the the visual of this movie I think it was Jean-Luc Godard who says the shot is the truth, the cut is the lie, which is like just a really, I'm sure Alfonso Cuaron has read that, whoever said it. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) So there's that uh, car scene, which isn't as long. I think it's about a four minute shot. And I think this is a great example of not doing it to be showy. Because like mm-hmm. that's a great thing. If you want to do it to be showy, like um, like Baby Driver has this uninterrupted scene. And it's all about the artifice of cinema. Because the words in the song are happening on the wall and he's dancing along. And it's a great shot. It's not for this type of thing, though. Mm. And I think the cuts are like used to drive home a point. If you cut to someone's face, you, you're really going to pay attention to it. Right. If you cut to a wide shot, you're going to notice how vast something Mm -hmm. is. If you're cutting really quickly, you know this is a crazy action sequence Mm -hmm. and lots of stuff's happening. But this doesn't use any of those trappings to tell you what to feel. Mm -hmm. It just puts you in the situation and lets the action speak for itself. Right. Just like with everything he does in this movie, he doesn't tell you, like, look how bad things are. We don't have exposition dumps. He just creates this world and lets you go around in it. Mm-hmm. Let's actually take a look at this clip, which is near to the beginning of the movie. And it's a scene when the four of them are all in a car. I'm going to play this clip for Samantha. I'm not going to play the audio for you out there because why? It is, however, in the show notes. So you can click on that and watch this clip. Go find that. And that was one of the single greatest shots in this history of cinema, I think. It was quite the shot. Um, I think that it was very detailed and very... um, Like, true to life of what it would be like to be in that car. I mean, long, long car rides are something that I think everyone can kind of, like understand and have been on and this really like kind of encompassed the feeling of these people have been in the car for like six hours and they're they're getting a little like loopy and like they're kind of having a little bit of fun and then they realize that oh yeah the world hasn't changed at all we're just having fun inside the car (laughs) yeah i think this shows that those long takes aren't just to show how clever technically he can be i think This one particularly is uh, so important thematically because it starts with Julian and Theo kind of rekindling something. You do, like you said, kind of forget the world around Mm -hmm. them because they're having fun. And this movie hasn't had any fun in it, really, outside of Jasper, who I think is brilliant. Oh, he is brilliant. But then it shows you how easily all of that can be pulled away and we're along for the ride. And... I love the changes of pace within this one shot because it starts off all nice and fun. Mm -hmm. And then when that car comes slamming down and all of those people come around you, you realize like how dire the situation is. But even in all of that, they take a moment to pause on the windshield as it cracks and then eventually shatters. Mm -hmm. So there's a little moment of uh, respite in all of that. Yeah. And we also get a great instance of that high-pitched theme because we have the noise right after the gunshot that hits Julianne Moore and it stays there until she just is actually dying and then it finally fades out because that was her hearing that and it's not like somebody needed to yell like Clive Clive Owen didn't need to yell she's dead she's dead like that sound effect did it and you didn't even really need to think about the fact that she was dead you just knew just drifted into it yeah, it's uh, it's such a a, a beautiful scene, mm-hmm. really, because oh, it starts off it. 
doing something that's not always the easiest and getting you to like these characters. It showed them being very sympathetic and fun, and you are on their side after you see them playing around like that. And then it does some really impressive technical stuff with the action sequence with him hitting that motorcycle and it flipping up Mm -hmm. with her being shot and the blood's coming out everywhere. And it's everything is super high stakes again. Yes. It's like this fun moment. And I really liked it because it gave you like a little bit about Julian and Theo's past you kind of get to your first starting to get to know Key, and it just kind of gives you like a fun moment. You get to see insight into everyone's characters in this one four-minute yeah. scene. You get to see that the one woman whose name I forget, but she's like the nurse midwife. You get to see that she's protective over Key. You get to see that Key is essentially a child. Mm-hmm. You get to see that Julian and Theo, although now beaten down by the world they live in, they used to be kids themselves romantics uh, idealists and you get that shot of chiwetel ejiofor is actually a really scary guy yeah we didn't know that before but then when he turns that gun on the cops first and then on theo we know that this guy is has another level that Mm -hmm. we haven't been seeing so did this make you think about like the people that you know and who would be like surprisingly able to do something like that no but now i have because that's one thing that i thought about because i was like because he seems like such a nice guy he seems very um kind of at the command of julian and he seems like he's just you know for the cause and he's a helper and then all of a sudden he shoots two police officers and tells him to get in the car and holds him at gunpoint and it's just like all of a sudden he's this different person and it made me think i'm like who in our lives would would turn like that (laughs) You want to know something weird? What? I'm a very good shot. Me too. Huh. <laughs> For whatever reason, when I was in Vietnam, I shot an AK-47. <laughs> oh, I've never shot anything that big. And I was pretty good. And like a 9 mil and a Beretta when I was in Korea. For some reason, when I'm traveling, I would do that. <laughs> We've never shot guns together. No, I don't I don't really care for it all that much. But I, was, I try, whatever. And then it's scary when you're good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good to know that you're a good shot, though. Cause... But I'm never going to have a gun, so it won't well, matter. in the apocalypse, you can protect us. I'd have to steal someone else's gun first. Well, yeah, it's the apocalypse. There's just, like, guns everywhere. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. You get to see that glimpse into his character, and then it's not as shocking in the next little bit when we get to see that he was trying to overthrow Julian, and this was all just a big power play. Because just like in the real world, all power systems are Mm -hmm. corruptible and will be corrupted. Yeah. Even if you're in the resistance, the resistance can be corrupted just the same. Exactly. So crazy. It's just to wrap up on the long shots and the use of them. It just makes it so much more documentary feeling. You feel like you're a war photographer when you're in that big six minute shot that goes up the stairs and out and everything. But I really liked how it's used early on. Because early on in the movie, Theo doesn't seem entirely interested in the world around him. Um, He's lived through it enough. None of this is shocking to him. But we, the viewer, still wants to know because it's not, hopefully not, commonplace for you. And the camera allows this because Mm -hmm. even if it's following along with him, the camera kind of drifts off and looks at things that that Theo isn't concerned with. Right. But it's informing us of, of this really intricate world that Quran has made. Yeah. Without any artifice of editing. I think that might be the only Oscar this was nominated for was editing, which is funny because it has the fewest edits of any movie. <laughs> um, I can see this movie winning a lot of awards because it seems very technical it did not oh it uh, did not do well in the box office it barely made its money back and if you know how films work making your money back means you lost millions because of all the money post-production and it was definitely not nominated for best picture i think it may have been nominated for cinematography and editing and perhaps adapted screenplay but either way it was not widely recognized then and it's not now either which is a shame hmm what are some other scenes or moments in this film that you enjoyed? I think the birth scene. 
I found that very interesting because I liked that they were in kind of a sealed room because I think that is very indicative of how birth is right? Like you don't notice the outside world. You are so, it's such, well, it's literally an internal thing, but it's, <laughs> it's such an internal thing that you're not noticing anything else that's going on that, um, this sealed room really kind of signified birth and it, it really made it very like insular. Um, even though there was like literally a war starting outside. Um, I loved the school, um, because it shows you kind of how young Key is, um, cause she's sitting on the swing set. Um, and you get the backstory, story of Miriam, the kind of the nurse. And, uh, you get to see Theo in kind of a vulnerable moment when he thinks no one's watching. So that was a really great sequence. Another really good Theo moment I liked was after Julian Moore's death. He's like being the tough guy and he takes a drink from mm-hmm. his Mickey that he carries with him. He lights a smoke, but then he goes behind the tree and breaks down crying. Yeah. And you realize like, yeah, he's he's trying his hardest to not feel anything. Oh, yeah. And that's his been his defense mechanism for a long time. But that's not who he is. No. And that reminds me of having moments where... You have to act, you know, kind of neutral in a situation where you have like maybe like a work situation where you have coworkers who maybe don't have the same political ideals as you. And like you just kind of have to ask, act very nonchalant and maybe put forward some good points. But you get to like later you're just like that. That was the stupidest thing. <laughs> like I hate being at work because of that. And it's just very topical. That was that was a very topical moment. Another scene I really liked was that kind of the jumpstart getaway when they're mm-hmm. escaping at night. Oh, where he's like running down the hill with the car. Yeah, and they're pushing it because they had to <laughs> yeah. jumpstart it. And they're not getting it right. And that's another one that has a lot of really long shots in it. And it's just so refreshing because every other car chase is cut, 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 high speeds. And this is people running and catching up to the car well, and then trying to start panic. it. Yeah, the panic just seemed so much more uh, palpable because yes. of how relatable it was. Yes. It's like, I'm not scared of heights in an airplane because I can't conceive of falling out of an airplane. But I'm scared of heights on a really tall ladder because I can see that fall. Yes. I can imagine that. Yeah. That's how the chases were in this. They were so much closer to, to life. Mm-hmm. I wrote down this line from Theo. It's early on, but I just thought it was really funny. He says, I don't talk politics. And she says, you used to. And he says, I'm more successful now. <laughs> very true. <laughs> it's very poignant. That's like when people say, like, oh, I thought you were an artist. I said, oh, I used to be, but then I got a job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> that kind of, I used to do this, but now I chose, you know, a steady paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sad but true, should we move on to our kind of overall theories about the movie? Or is there any other moments you want to discuss? No, I think I think I'm out of moments. I think we just kind of covered everything that was very like at the front of my mind. Um, let's talk about some theories. It's funny. It's I was I have so much more written down for the like, great moments in the movie, but we've kind of more talked about it in the abstract and mm-hmm. how it relates today because I, I think that's because of what what's happening today. I think it's because before I came home from work, I looked at a whole bunch of pictures of what is happening today, and it's very much in my mind. And I don't think that I'm going to be able to, like, talk more, like, in detail about moments of this no, movie because I'm having trouble not just relating to them to things that are currently happening. So I'll just maybe summarize what I think of how the movie was made. I okay. think it's amazingly shot and directed the world building has so many layers and then all these performances are great on top of that and we could get into uh, individual moments and Mm -hmm. break them down but that's kind of not what we're going with today so would you agree or do you disagree with any of that i i agree i think you're i think you understand things about the movie that i don't realize and then when you say them i tend to like kind of realize that that's what i've been thinking about 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I said at the beginning of why I picked this movie. And it's not for anyone out there, and you especially, if you think like, oh, I didn't know that. It's not that you're not like aware of these mm-hmm. things it's that the filmmakers are doing this so you're not aware of it yeah and i feel like i'm realizing those moments as you're being like so this is like what happened here yeah and then i'm like oh okay so i did notice that moment it just didn't like click in my memory that that's what it was because usually if you notice something and say like oh that is supposed to make me feel sad because of this mm-hmm. that's a bad movie that's a manipulative movie that's being cheap if it makes you feel something and it's not until after that you realize how they got you to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a sign of a good movie. You shouldn't be aware of how a film is trying to make you think. You should be able to go into it, come out feeling like the director wanted you to and not know how you got there. I feel like I'm like a recovering easy movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Because like now I can't watch shitty movies and not be like, oh, I knew I'd hate that. Well, that, that that's one thing because like yeah i probably would but i'm curious to know like how do you feel is it just like indy would hate this because he's a pretentious film guy or no i feel like i'm coming to the point where i'm like i kind of hate it i still have a little bit of my like past where i just wanted to watch like an easy movie right but at the same time i'm able to think a little bit critically about it and be like you know what that was that was real dumb and i i like can acknowledge why they did it but you know i think a lot of those movies like you said are movies that are like use music and dialogue and everything to make you feel bad about things or make you feel happy about things or make you feel the love in the moment and like it's a different kind of movie that we watched this week yeah this is a movie that puts you in that world and it lets you decide for yourself mm-hmm. it doesn't spoon feed you anything and it's not like a particularly complicated or esoteric movie mm-hmm. it just lets you make up your own mind yeah and i think the thing i hate about movies that i don't like is that it's not letting you make up your own mind it's telling you how to feel and it's telling you very loudly i i love a lot of what we'd call like guilty pleasure movies like i still think billy madison is hilarious <laughs> i think you can like any type of movie if you think christmas prince is the best movie ever awesome good for you <laughs> i just think people should know why they like something yeah you should be able to say what you like about that movie true i think if you can explain what is good about a movie there's nothing that's a good movie that's a bad movie Mm -hmm. but if you think about it and say like well there's no real reasons to like it and you feel bad when you're explaining why you like it then maybe it's not a great movie yeah true i think that's my thesis of this uh podcast overall (laughs) like whatever you want just know why you like it True. Okay. That's a good place to end this, but I thought we had one more discussion. (laughs) Sure. Overall, is Children of Men an optimistic movie? Yes and no. Go on. (laughs) I think that the world that this is set in is already so past the point of kind of like saving unless we just like started all over again, right? Like the... British, you know, propaganda that's happening is so past the point of being able to, like, walk it back and living normally again that I think that the world just needs to, like, re-colonize almost. Wow. I did not expect you to have a more (laughs) pessimistic take than me. But then then that goes for today. Mm -hmm. Do you think the United States, like, you know what, wipe them out, start over again? Is that your... Are you proposing that we just start America over again? Oh, I would love that. It would make my life so much easier. Um, But I think that on the plus side of this movie is that there is all of a sudden this new hope. And even though we don't physically see her being rescued and we don't physically see her maybe having another child or other people being pregnant and... Um, I think it leads you to the point where you have this kind of positive outcome and it leads you to be more positive about the future. I might disagree a little bit because I think it is um, perhaps a little too heavy handed in the end about it being positive Mm -hmm. because we have the tomorrow coming in and 
when the title card comes up of Children of Men, mm-hmm. the sound is children laughing. Yes. So I think that's very clearly saying that more children are going to be born. I think that's quite clear. And I think it's perhaps a little heavy handed, but I think it's fine. I would have preferred if after Clive Owen dies, if we just see a ship coming up and cutting there. No sound. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the majority of people would take that to mean, yes, she is saved. Yes, things will continue on. But it's a little more open-ended. I think how it is. See, I didn't even think about it like that. What do you mean? The laughing and like the children's sound. I think that was just something like a callback from the film. And they said like, I forget what playgrounds sound like. And like, Oh, I, I, I think it is. But I think it seems to me very clear. Like, why would you put in the actual sound of children laughing if not to explicitly say that? children will exist again Hmm. yeah i didn't think about it like that but yeah you're right i can see i can see that that idea so i think the movie is ultimately optimistic but there it is uh tempered for sure because one of the other most optimistic moments and the one that you noted is when they come out with the baby and the world stops around Mm -hmm. them the war stops people stop firing People cross themselves. They reach out to touch the child. Mm -hmm. How did you feel in that moment? Was it, I have a hard time explaining it. And then I realized the reason I can't explain it is because it's emotion. It's not. Oh, it's emotion. No, it's such a beautiful moment. It's, and it's the moment that, I don't know. It's the moment that you feel like you hope for during. It's a transcendent moment. It is. And um, it's. It's like everything quiets. And then all of a sudden when they start shooting again, it feels like they're shooting for like almost a different reason because they know that baby's there and they, they want to protect it and they see shooting. So they're like, we need to, you know, minimize whatever's going on over there to keep that baby safe. Oh, that I I did not get at all. That's kind of how I felt about because it. Because the people right around them just continued their fight. Mm-hmm. I took that as more of a... Yes, they stop for this moment of optimism for the future, but they're so entrenched in the way they've been for this whole time. And it shows that whether there is hope or not, people will behave in a similar Mm -hmm. way. And that's why I was saying that the movie overall is optimistic, but it's a tempered optimism. Because Mm -hmm. although we have those those transcendent moments, like when the baby's coming out, the war is going to continue just as it was. So even though I think that the movie does pretty almost explicitly say that humanity will continue and children will continue when it has Mm -hmm. that laughter i think that optimism is tempered by by moments like this yeah true so could we somehow bring our thoughts on children of man and the level of optimism it has and relate that to our world today is that too big of a of an ask I I feel like I'm still processing the world of today, so I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can do that for you. But if you have a if you have a thought about it, let's let's hear it. Maybe it'll spring something in me. Well, I'm developing now, and often now on this podcast, I just make it up. I start the sentence and then just make it up <laughs> as I go. And a lot of the time, it works. You always sound very good on this podcast. Aw, <laughs> my number one fan. <laughs> one of three. <laughs> I don't know, maybe what we can do as a people going forward is modeled by Theo because like, yes, we were once idealists and yes, we are cynical because of all the things we've seen, but maybe all we can do is find what we can do. Mm -hmm. Find that little thing that you can do. And perhaps that's enough for this one man. It was because what he did was uh, do much of the work in saving humanity really Mm -hmm. so yeah maybe we can't do that but maybe we just do what we can do be like theo don't let yourself be hopeless yeah i don't know i think that humanity right now is doing a good job of not being hopeless most most of humanity is doing a good job of not being hopeless i think there's a lot of fight that's coming out in the last couple months that has been very inspiring yeah true true All right. Well, should we wrap up (laughs) our talk on Children of Men on that very profound note? I guess so. 
Uh-oh. Although we never even talked about Michael Caine as Jasper. Let's just oh, say he's awesome. Michael I love Caine Michael Caine. Michael is a gem. <laughs> oh, he's he's one of my all-time oh, favorites. I've he's never so seen good. him like that, and I love it. Yeah, because you're so used to seeing him be kind of like a rich playboy a he's lot like of the, the time. He's like the buttoned-up British dude. Yeah. And it's just like, this was so great to see. Because I think he gets to use his normal accent in this mm-hmm. because he's Cockney, right? And, and usually he's doing this very posh James Bond type kind of accent. Yeah, he was so good. All the performances, really. We oh, didn't talk about anyone, yeah, really, no. besides Clive Owen, but there were so many good ones. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this was such a good movie, and that is why I love it. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, I love Children of Men because it's a it's a simple story told masterfully. It doesn't rely on any contrivances to get its point across, and it doesn't try to gloss over the terrible parts of the reality that is created nor the reality that it's mirroring. It doesn't spoon feed us any opinions. It just kind of presents a mirror to ourselves. And perhaps it also encourages the nihilists out there and the jaded people to uh, to get back out there and fight. Yeah. So maybe I'm, I'm coming out a, a little more optimistic on this one. Good. I'm glad. Also, I never consider myself a pessimist. I consider myself <laughs> very realist. Oh, you are. You are. <laughs> I think that uh, this movie left me with kind of an uplifting feeling, which allowed me to really think critically about it, not just be like, oh, I feel bad after that movie. Yeah. I think that ending allowed me to think about the movie without having that kind of like bad taste in my mouth. I don't know if thinking, you know, if if ending it poorly or like sad on a sad note would leave a bad taste in my mouth but it just it it didn't leave me with a specific feeling other than hope and then I was able to think about it yeah as much as I love movies that have uh, what we'd call a more sad ending mm-hmm. I think that's exactly the benefit of having an ending that is is much more optimistic like this because you can look back on the movie and see what got them to that point mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully kind of mirror that in your own life yeah absolutely I think it was very smart to end it like that Well, there you have it. Um, (laughs) Those are our thoughts on Children of Men from 2006. Please rate and review and all of that kind of stuff because no one really listens to this podcast. And subscribe. (laughs) And I I think like sometimes, like today, we may have said some good things. Yeah, I think this was a very good episode. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. You can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should Too dash podcast. And you can email us your long form answers at I Love This You Should and the number two at gmail.com. And next week, we have kind of our pre episode where we will each have a thing of the week. And that will be a spoiler free review of mm-hmm. our things. And Samantha will tell me what we'll be watching for our next big episode. And I will do my very best to not just look up into the ceiling and talk for minutes on end like I did today. Um, you never talk about my movies quite as, as deeply as you talk about your movies. I think we definitely have some movies that uh, that does not hold true for me. <laughs> okay, well, we will see you next week when we reveal what my pick for the next week will be. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Shit's Creek, I definitely soliloquized on that one a bunch. <laughs> a Christmas Prince? I talked for like 10 minutes on Christmas Prince Street. Instant Family, I was all over the place on that one too. I think I talk a lot just in general, yours or mine. Yeah, true. You do soliloquize heavily. I'm one heavy soliloquizer. <laughs> That's what I tell people about you. That's what my license plate says. <laughs> HV. I don't know how you would do that on a license plate. S I L Q Z. Maybe for solo, you just put the number one. One Q Z R. Oh, yeah. Soliloquizer. H V one Q Z R. You better buy that next time you have to renew your uh, license plate. I will not. <laughs>